Hello, and welcome to Next Quest Podcast, where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. Today on the show, I welcome Jennifer Reedy, licensed professional counselor supervisor and licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor, to talk about her practice and specialty, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, or PMADS. Welcome to the second episode of Next Quest Podcast. Today I welcome Jennifer Reedy, licensed professional counselor supervisor and licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor. Uh, she is here to talk about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders or PMEDS. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you. So I've got a bunch of questions. We're going to go over them. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. So what are your credentials and experience? Um, so like you said, a licensed professional counselor supervisor, um, licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor. And as far as experience, I worked for a long time in an agency setting with um, children, families, doing some parent work also, um, currently in private practice. Cool. Do you accept insurance in your private practice? If so, which ones? I accept HSA cards, but I'm not in network with any insurance companies. Is there a reason why? Uh, well, the practice is just me. I do all of the, the business side of everything, so I don't really have the bandwidth to handle insurance companies. Um, so yeah, decided to totally. focus on client care. <laughs> totally understandable. Accepting insurance can be difficult and does a lot of work. Um, do you have sliding scale appointments? I do offer sliding scale, and I'm also a provider for the Pregnancy and Postpartum Health Alliance of Texas um, voucher program. So that provides low-cost counseling for new and expecting moms. That sounds like an awesome program. It really is, yeah. What about weekend or evening appointments? Yeah, both. Um, is being a therapist your first career? If not, what was? Yes, it was my first career and really the only one I ever considered. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> I took my first intro to psychology 
college course when I was 15 years old and I just knew what it, it was what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, totally understand that. What drew you to being a therapist? Um, mine was similar. I've known since middle school that I wanted to be a therapist. I didn't really have the word for it, but I just knew I wanted to sit in a room with people on a couch and help them. <laughs> um, and I remember my parents bought me an abnormal psych textbook in middle school, and I just like read it cover to cover and enjoyed it so much. Um, so the same as you, I took psychology and sociology in high school and like knew what I wanted to major in as soon as I started college. So I feel really lucky in that respect. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am crafty and I love DIY stuff. Um, I weirdly like to put together Ikea furniture. So <laughs> <laughs> that's an odd thing. Um, also, I am a little too into TV. That's like my favorite self-care, um, mainly old stuff like Simpsons, The Office, Seinfeld. Um, Schitt's Creek is my favorite one right now. I've seen that one on Netflix. I've been meaning to check it out. Oh, you have to. It's the best. <laughs> so in your work, what modalities do you draw upon with people? Well, my perspective that I kind of see the world um, would be attachment therapy. And so that's kind of my base um, theory that I work from. But obviously, I integrate CBT, DBT, solution-focused, um, mindfulness, you know, techniques into, into my work. Cool. What drew you to working with PMADS? Well, I experienced postpartum depression and anxiety and pregnancy. I had or depression and anxiety. Um, and then after my daughter was born, a lot of issues with her. Um, so it really just came from my own personal experience and wanting to help other moms. So, you know, I mentioned PMADS. What, what are postpartum mood and anxiety disorders? Um, so they basically are mental health issues that happen during pregnancy and postpartum. And postpartum actually extends from birth through the first year after birth. So, you know, okay. PMADS can come up at any point during that time period. And they can be, you know, anxiety, depression, OCD, um, or very rarely postpartum psychosis. I didn't know that it was considered, the postpartum period was considered for up to a year. That's, that's interesting and good to know. Yeah. I know it's common for new moms to struggle after giving birth. What differentiates the baby blues from postpartum depression? That is a really good question. Um, so up to 80% of new moms actually experience the baby blues. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it has to do with the abrupt change in hormones and, you know, no sleep, completely, you know, changing your roles in your life. But that can be mood swings, sadness, crying, irritability, wondering what you've gotten yourself into, um, missing your old life. But basically, they function reasonably well for a new parent. Um, and that resolves by about two weeks. And okay. then, yeah. And then after two weeks or earlier, if the symptoms are really severe, then we would be looking at postpartum depression. And so that 
can have typical depression symptoms and then some extra stuff that kind of differentiates it a little bit from typical depression, but changes in appetite, sleep, you know, crying, feelings of guilt, shame, hopelessness, loss of pleasure in things that they used to enjoy. And then they also may be not interested in or trying to avoid the baby or caring for the baby. Um, or some rarely experience thoughts of wanting to harm themselves or the baby. Mm -hmm. I imagine being a, a new mom is very difficult. And I would also imagine having, like feeling guilt about avoiding your baby and then that kind of perpetuating depression even more. Um, Absolutely. I hear that all the time that they feel guilty that they don't want to hold their baby or that they can't live up to the standard that they think they should. It's a lot of pressure to be a new mom. Absolutely. Are there any factors that might predispose a new mom to developing a PMED? Yes, there are a lot which explains why they're so common, um, but there's situational stressors like finances, if you're having trouble in your relationship, if there are safety issues, if you've had major life changes, um, there are pregnancy-related issues, like um, if it's a multiple pregnancy or unexpected pregnancy, um, if there are health issues in mother or baby, um, or if there's any complications during the pregnancy um, or birth or you know, with the baby or mom after birth, and those all are risk factors. Okay. I imagine that new moms struggle to seek out help for PMADs. What do you find typically prevents these moms from seeking care? There are a lot of reasons that um, moms have trouble asking for help. If they're lacking support in general, then they probably don't have support in finding therapy. And finding a therapist who is a good fit and knows what they're talking about for your specific issue is really difficult. And this is a really small niche, so that is tricky. Mm -hmm. um, and you do really need somebody who knows about PMADs um, to properly um, treat them. And um, there's also a shame factor. You know, our oh, absolutely. yeah, our society has created this you know, myth of this super mom, which is so dangerous. And you know, moms feel pressure to be able to do it all and be it all and you know, social media perpetuates this and, you know, makes it even harder. Um, they also can be afraid to admit they're struggling because they're afraid that they'll be seen as unfit and somebody will come and try to take their baby, which mm -hmm. may seem irrational from the outside. But when you're anxious and depressed and already doubting yourself as a new mom, then it feels like a real possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think with any sort of depression and anxiety, there's some irrational thinking that goes into that. Um, what do you think are some important questions that medical or mental health professionals can ask that would elicit this information that um, you know, would help us identify that to refer them to somebody who specializes in it? Definitely. So if you have a pregnant or new parent, there is a super simple um, questionnaire called the um, 
well, the initials are EPDS, it's the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Screening. It's readily available online for free. And, you know, I recommend that people are screened several times during pregnancy and postpartum. So that's a simple way. If you don't want to try to remember all of the questions you should ask, you can just like give them the form and they fill it out really quick. It just takes maybe two minutes. Um, and so really getting that out there and universal screening, um, OBs don't typically see the mom until six weeks postpartum. And so she could have either been struggling already or hasn't, you know, had symptoms develop yet. And so another really important thing is having pediatricians start to give them at the checkups because they go to the checkups and some actually have, which makes me really happy to hear, but it would be nice if it was across the board for every mom. Yeah, I love that idea. That seems very necessary. Definitely. So say, you know, a new mom just had a baby, um, family is around her, supporting her, what might be some warning signs that she may be developing a PMAD? A big one is if she can't sleep when the baby is sleeping and she's trying to. So some moms will, you know, try to get things done while the baby's sleeping and not try to sleep. But if she's trying to sleep and she can't fall asleep, um, because most of the time, you know, they're sleep deprived, so they should be able to sleep. So that's a big um, red flag. Lack of interest in the baby if she's not wanting to hold the baby and take care of the baby. Um, Lack of interest in taking care of herself. So if she has time to shower and she doesn't want to, that would be something to look out for. Um, And the typical like changes in appetite, excessive crying or irritability, racing thoughts, constant worry or hypervigilance. And that one's a little tricky because it is common for, you know, new parents to be a little hypervigilant, but when it, it yeah. seems sort of over the line of what's typical, that would be something to, to think about. Okay. One of the more dangerous mental health issues that can develop postpartum is postpartum psychosis, right? Um, are there any warning signs in particular related to postpartum psychosis that should be looked out for? Yes, and I do want to note that postpartum psychosis is extremely rare, but it's a severe medical emergency that needs immediate medical treatment. So that can mean driving mom to the ER. If it's not safe because of some of the symptoms, then calling 911 for an ambulance to come and help. But she definitely needs to be assessed um, immediately if you know these symptoms develop. So some of the symptoms would be hallucinations. They could be auditory, visual, you know, any kind of hallucination. Um, delusions, which are often religious. Um, say she feels like God is punishing her or you know, telling her to do something. Severe insomnia, sometimes not sleeping for days at a time. Uh, hyperactivity, which you wouldn't expect in depression, so that can be something that's easily differentiated. Um, Extreme anxiety, agitation, irritability, um, paranoia, and suspiciousness are two to really look out for. Rapid mood swings, sometimes difficulty communicating, um, suicidal or homicidal thoughts or actions, and then uh, lack of attention to personal hygiene in a more serious way than just typical kind of depression would 
would um, have. Gotcha. Is there, what is the typical treatment recommended for PMEDs? Basically, talk therapy, especially things like CBT, has been um, studied for PMADs, and then, if necessary, uh, medication can help. Do they ever go? Do they ever resolve independently, or does it require treatment most of the time? Well, I mean, just like in the broader population, anxiety and depression can resolve on their own. Um, but the problem is, we don't know who whose symptoms would resolve on their own and who's wouldn't. Um, And then there's the issue of the mom struggling in the meantime during this already difficult time and um, the effects that maternal depression and anxiety can have on the baby and bonding. Um, So it definitely is a risk factor to the baby for the mom to have depression and anxiety, which that makes us want to treat it as early as possible. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just kind of a fun question here. As you may or may not know, much of my professional work focuses on gender. Do you find that new moms have feelings about the gender of their child? I think a lot of parents have a preference one way or the other, but then once the baby's born, they just love their baby regardless, and that stuff kind of, you know, goes out the window, and it, it's not a big deal to them anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Also, let's talk about gender reveal parties. There are so many issues with gender reveal parties now, including devastating wildfire. Yes. Why do you think these parties are so important to people? I think they mean different things to different people. Um, some people just want an excuse for a party. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, um, some people are trying to include their family and friends, you know, in their pregnancy experience. I think especially right now with COVID, you know, they have to be separated. And so doing a Zoom gender reveal is one way to get everybody together and celebrate. Um, I think social media has a lot to do with it, especially Mm -hmm. the ones that are more, um, spectacular i guess you would say um so yeah but an interesting thing is that i read that the woman who is credited with inventing them actually regrets it now so oh interesting i think yeah it's really interesting i've read that gender reveal parties are kind of a means of making cis straight men a part of the pre-birth excitement since baby showers tend to leave men out Um, But what's curious to me is to whether including men in these traditionally feminine spaces results in a sense of a loss of masculinity, which results in both performative and precarious masculinity, which is why we end up seeing explosives, guns, wildfires, uh, whereas traditional baby showers don't involve those things. I really, I think that's a super interesting perspective. I've never thought about it like that, but they do tend to be, yes, explosive and, you know. Over the top. Yes, definitely. Wow. Yeah, I like that perspective. It's really interesting. Um, So, you know, when you're working with somebody who has PMADS, how do you approach that person? I think... Biggest thing, like right off the bat, is 
acceptance and validation. Um, mm -hmm. Normalizing it absolutely is important. Um, I, I have so many people come to me who have so much shame and now they finally reached out. And so I just want them to know that it's so common, you know, they are, you know, a part of a group of women that experience like such similar things. And so um, it has nothing to do with them, you know, not being a good mom or not being ready to be a mom. It's just a chemical thing that happens to some people. I think shame and guilt, period, are two of the most difficult uh, emotions to work with. Um, and I can see that especially being difficult with new moms. Um, what would you say are some common misconceptions about PMATs? Um, well, I think the general public doesn't really know anything other than postpartum depression. So I think that's a, a huge one. And I've even heard people kind of often um, use the term postpartum in place of postpartum depression. So they'll say like, oh, she had postpartum, mm -hmm. which it's a time period. It's not a diagnosis. Um, right. So that it's just, you know, they don't know any different and there isn't very much education out there. So that makes sense. Um, I also think that there, because of the big high profile cases that we've seen, you know, people assume that if a new mom has, you know, thoughts of harming herself or her baby, that she's going to, mm -hmm. um, which we know just in general, like people have suicidal ideation all the time yep. without actually, you know, going through with anything. So um, the cases that you see on the news are actually postpartum psychosis, not postpartum depression. Um, but they don't, say that, you know, they just say she had postpartum depression and then this terrible thing happened. So I think that's something that we need to kind of get out there that that is not the typical thing that happens to a mom who's suffering after giving birth. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a very important differentiation to make. Um, what kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients such as those who are transgender, undocumented, or BIPOC, to name a few examples? Um, well, so I've worked with undocumented families and um, individuals, and then um, BIPOC families and individuals as well. Cool. How are your sessions structured, if any? I don't have a set structure. Um, I basically tailor it to each individual clients needs. Would you say you're directive or non-directive in your approach? So that also varies, um, you know, client by client, session by session. Um, right. Basically, whatever the client brings that day and what they need is, you know, the direction that I take. What could a new client expect from an initial session with you? So the first session is usually about the client telling their story and sharing what they would like to share with me. Um, I don't go into any first session with expectation. You know, it, I'm totally open to whatever they bring. Um, some clients have been holding everything in and I can feel like the pressure and then the relief from yeah. finally getting to share it. Um, some clients are in so much pain that they just cry through the whole session and 
that's absolutely okay too. And there's everything in between. So it's really just their time to use how they need. Okay. And what about on an ongoing basis, what could clients expect from you? I mean, obviously it varies a little bit week to week, um, but in general, you know, we kind of build a dynamic and kind of have a rhythm where they know how our sessions go and what to expect week to week, but it's different for each client. How would you say your clients would describe or experience you? So I feel like I'm answering every question. It depends, but I'll... <laughs> of course. I mean, there's so much variability in this field, you know, and we can't be rigid in our approaches or else we're going to end up leaving a whole bunch of people out. So I totally understand that. Definitely. And I was actually reflecting on this the other day, um, not even like related to the podcast, just on my own, because I noticed that I'm so different session to session throughout the day, mm -hmm. you know, like different parts of me will come out as needed. And right. so um, I was thinking about it, like, why is this? I'm a generally pretty stable person. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why are these like different parts coming out? And I think it all goes back to the like attachment philosophy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of see my role as a therapist as helping to create a safe space and to, you know, meet clients' needs, whatever they are, and it's different for each person. So, um, I think that that versus trying to make clients fit into what I think a therapy session would look like, you know, is, is important because I could have somebody dealing with basic CBT, you know, kind of issues. And then right after that, there's, you know, somebody dealing with attachment trauma. And then right after that, there's a new mom who needs, you know, just some validation and psychoeducation and making a plan to get through to the next week. And so it's just, you know, a lot of mental and emotional gymnastics on my end, but yeah. hopefully it, you know, translate to clients getting what they need. Well, I think it's interesting that that part of the experience of being a therapist is uh, the, the development of that intuitive knowing of how to say what to say when to say it type of thing yes i feel like i really felt like i was becoming a real therapist when things would come out of me and i would be like where did that come from that was yeah. really good <laughs> like that was what the client needed like i have no idea it just like comes out of nowhere it feels like but yeah definitely like intuitive you know whatever it it's definitely an, an interesting an interesting part of what we do are you a therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients? Definitely. I use humor a lot in session and in life. And um, crying, absolutely. I will tear up with the client. I don't know how you can help that. Um, I'm not going to start Tired. sobbing and pull focus away from their feelings. Right, right. But absolutely, I tear up when you know clients are, are having a hard time or sharing something difficult. How would you define holding space for someone? So for me, holding space means creating like a safe, supportive, non-judgmental experience for a client where there aren't any expectations. I'm just there with them, like fully attuned, fully present. Um, and it's just kind of this zone that you get into. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just this really cool 
feeling in the room that I really enjoy. Okay. What is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor? So this I have received from professors and supervisors and by every therapist I've ever talked to about it. Um, but basically you get the clients you're meant to get, meaning that you, the clients that you have what they need or they have something to teach you just somehow magically find you. Um, and I found this to be like, creepily accurate in some cases to where it's just I like totally wow agree. yeah i yeah, know that that's been my experience as well it's just so interesting how that happens what would you say you've personally learned about yourself and or the world through your practice i think because i've had a pretty broad range of working with lots of different people um just the fact that we are all so similar as human beings, you know, like people glorify celebrities or athletes or whatever. And to me, like those are just people who are talented and good at their jobs. And there are lots of people in all walks of life who are talented and good at their jobs, but um, everybody wants to be seen and loved and be accepted and belong. Um, so yeah, I think that we all, basically deep down are the same or at least want the same things and need the same things. Okay. And I want to go back for a second. I forgot to ask, um, do you, or have you worked with any new moms of the LGBTQIA plus community? I haven't. And I, I definitely would like to, um, but I think there needs to be more outreach with, mm -hmm. with that population. And I wonder like even using the term new mom, I don't really like that term. And on my website, I've tried my best to, to find every place and say new parent instead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the general public thinks of new moms. And so that's kind of the shorthand that we use, but it's not my favorite term at all. Yeah, I mean, and you also have situations where trans men may have a child and get pregnant. Exactly. Um, so I, I just want to ask for the community as a whole, um, you know, is that a population you're open to working with? Absolutely. Definitely. And I, yeah, I definitely don't want me saying new moms to, to make anybody feel like they wouldn't be like absolutely welcome and loved in my, in my space. Awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. What do you do to take care of yourself? Well, I try to have balance as much as possible. Um, all or nothing thinking is my go-to cognitive distortion. So <laughs> that is always we all have ours. <laughs> a balancing act. Um, but I try to meditate, um, avoid the news whenever mm -hmm. I possibly can. Obviously, sometimes you have to watch the news, but whenever I can avoid it, I do. Um, and I recently bought a bike, which has been fun. Fun. Like a mountain yeah. bike or a cruising bike? Just like a cruising bike. I just like around my neighborhood with my daughter, but I hadn't ridden one in like years and years. And I was like, whoa, this is, you don't forget. Actually, it's true because it had been I was a long time. <laughs> you actually do not forget. That's, that's a real thing. And it was really fun and felt freeing in this time where, you know, 
I don't feel very free. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't ridden a bike in a while, but I remember the one thing that I loved about it is just the feeling of the breeze as you know you're riding down the street or wherever. It's just such a good feeling. Definitely. How would you define happiness? My happiest moments are when I'm feeling connected to people that I care about. Um, so I guess connection. Okay. Connection with people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's very important as social creatures. Now, this is a very vulnerable question. What is the most embarrassing moment you have had as a clinician? So I try really hard to be authentic and human in session. So I don't have any off the top of my head. I don't get embarrassed easily in session. Um, I try to normalize everything. But I think it probably would be from back when I was doing experiential groups with at-risk teens. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that I did something. Tough They're crowd. so vicious. <laughs> Teenagers are so, so so rough so yeah i'm sure that i did something that i was really embarrassed about back then and probably blocked it out but yeah <laughs> <laughs> teens are not the easiest population to work with that is for sure yeah um is there anything else that you think would be good for a potential client or other therapist to know about you yes i don't do couples work okay despite being an lmft <laughs> i don't work with couples so um, I refer out for, for people who need that. Okay. Um, last question is, uh, what is your website? Oh, it's uh, www.peacefulconnectionstherapy.com. Awesome. Well, I think that's all I've got for today, Jennifer. Is there anything else at all that you would like to mention? Not that I can think of. No, it's been great um, speaking with you, though. So it's a lot more fun than I was expecting. <laughs> a little nervous coming in, but it was fun. Yeah, no, I, I think we've had a great conversation today. And I think that, um, you know, this is a topic that more people need to know about um, just to even eliminate some of the shame associated with it, you know, getting it talked about more. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate it so much. And uh, I know who I'll be referring to in the future for PMEDS. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Next Quest Podcast. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Stay tuned for our episode next week featuring Adam McDonald, licensed clinical social worker, who will talk about his practice and his specialty, attachment and trauma. Next Quest Podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmitt Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmitt Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 
512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. NextQuest Podcasts, brought to you by NextQuest Counseling, relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash nextquestpodcast, or making a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash aboutnextquestpodcast. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.